We've done this before. Let's try something new. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today is January 25th, 2021. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Steve. You. So, how you doing today, buddy? Almost through the month. This is like one of the first times you actually recorded in like the morning. This is, yeah, this is weird. Uh, yeah, this is like I'm the first time. I'm feeling a little time. spry this morning, which is yeah. interesting. Usually <laughs> when I leave here, it's like pitch black, and I've... Dude, the last time we recorded, I think... I got home around 8.30 or so, I'm like ready for bed. <laughs> now, so you know, it's obviously no secret that we record these episodes in advance and we try to record as many as we can. And, you know, during, you know, work days and shit, you know, it's just not feasible to get them done in the morning. But, yeah. you know, since a personnel change in the podcast, we're able to get started. The flexibility started. of the schedule. Yeah, the flexibility I mean, however, I do have to travel back to Kansas at some point. School is starting back up. I'm still trying to get my bowling certificate to yeah. be able to <laughs> run my own alley, I guess you could say. So while Steve's still in the area, we try to knock out as much as humanly possible. Absolutely. So, uh, actually, I don't even know today's real date because I'm always just used to being like in the future anyway. Yeah, we're in the future. Yeah, we're in the future. So, <laughs> so since the last time we spoke, have you encountered anything new or interesting? So, due to the timing of this recording, obviously, I don't know how many more songs of this album have actually come out. But currently, there's three. The band is a fix. Um, they, they're really old school death metal band. Yeah. Two of their albums are, you know, 91 and 92 efforts um, are staples in, you know, traditional old school death metal uh, I haven't found anything up until this one that's coming out this year of something of like notable worth in terms, especially of death metal that's coming out. And this is a band that they're like hit or miss. Some of their songs are really good. Some of their songs are not. Some of their albums are very good. Some of them are not. This album, though, it's called um, Necroceris. I wouldn't even know how to spell this. Necroceris, I'm guessing. Yeah, Necroceris. Um, it's called, yeah, it's they get really know, creative you know with these death album metal titles. Bands are <laughs> necro something, um, but they're coming out with a new album, um, and it's good. I listened to three of the songs. I'm not a huge fan of the music video or the song Botox Implosion. I think the song title's garbage as well. But they have a song called Knights Templar Stand, and it's fucking good. I'm a huge fan of older death metal bands still producing new music. And I'm also not so quick to be just acceptable about it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's been quite a few bands that I've, you know, been a fan of for quite some time that released some new music. And I'm just <laughs> like, please, just don't do it to me. Going back to the title for a second, Botox Implosion. It's like an oxymoron. Yeah. Or not like an oxymoron. An oxymoron would be like stupid idiot. But, um, like, there's no way for Botox to implode. Yeah. Like, how does that even happen? I guess it's like under the skin. It's imploding your skin as you're injecting the... I don't know. I yeah, don't it doesn't know. make any sense. I would like answers, though. <laughs> and you can find us on our social media. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, again, I just... I'm, I always try to look for new death metal. It's a lot harder to find. I mean, you can basically Google, you know, new new albums coming out 2021, and you, you'll get a generic list yeah. of like the most, you know, acceptable bands. So... When I see, you know, an individual or somebody on social media that's posting a band that's coming out with a new album, I'm obviously going to check it out because if I'm a fan, I'm going to give it a shot. Exactly. And unlike like Tool, for instance, like Tool really just had a <laughs> fucking facade over me with their new album and I liked it for too long and now I'm becoming more acceptable to the idea that it's a very subpar album. Yeah, the the, the wool's being you know, yeah. lifted from your eyes. Yeah, it's like when the drugs wear off and you're just kind of <laughs> like, that was probably a mistake. What did I do? Yeah. <laughs> Wake up from a Xanax blackout in the county jail. Like, damn, that happened again. <laughs> it got me. What about you? Um, You know, as always with the YouTube thing, I mean, you know, like I am a music fan. I do listen to music like that. Like, like I just want to put that out there. You don't say. <laughs> But I don't actively go out of my way to find new music. 
usually how I find shit is through YouTube and going down that rabbit hole. Mm. I don't think I can stress enough how much time I really spend on that particular search engine, I guess. I think, I don't know, I think more or less just like zoning out and watching something as opposed to zoning out and listening to music. Usually yeah, I do. I do the different route. Sometimes I'll go on like rate your music and look up an album and look up the recommended based on that album and then look up the recommended artist based off that recommended artist. And I wind up getting in this spiral yeah. of just finding people's <laughs> created lists of bands that sound like this. I do that pretty much with everything. Movies. Yeah. I mean, comedy bits. Not that like necess- like it I don't want to say like I don't have the patience for but that. it works. Yeah. Because you know? then you just stumble upon gold unknowingly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I do I do occasionally do that with, well, like the thing is, like my YouTube searches are either car related or music related or guitar related. Like that, those are the literally the three things. When I was going through, I found, I came across a YouTube channel called The Suffocator. Now, before we started the show, I showed you his page. Yeah. He does, I don't want to say guitar covers. Well, he does covers, but what led me to his channel was he like, Hits guitar players against one another. Yeah, and he does like comparisons too, yes. which is really cool. Like we watched one of the latest ones of Jeff Swedish, Hanneman. Yeah, Swedish oh, black yeah. metal versus Norwegian black yep. metal. It is cool because what I really enjoyed about that is you get to hear just the isolated portions of like some of your favorite songs, especially of exactly. metal bands, because a lot of people's first reaction to metal bands is like it's just noise. Yep. But when you get to see like an isolated riff and you get to see the comparisons of exactly. like how origins are different based on geogra- like geographical reasoning. Yeah. It was very fucking cool. Like this dude, the dude, the way he set it, sets up his videos, it's almost like a, if any of you watch, you know, Ryan Fluff Bruce on YouTube, it's like the Riff Wars thing. It's like a, like set up almost like it were like an eight bit video game. Like you have the two guitar players standing next to each other and yeah, the ones playing. Yeah. And like yeah. the ones waiting to get done and like they're making faces and shit at one another while they're playing. Uh, a couple standout videos he did James Hetfield versus James Hanneman, uh, Jeff Hanneman versus Kerry King. Chuck Schuldner versus 15 death metal bands. Yeah. Uh, Dave Mustaine versus, uh, he says Dave Mustaine versus all, but it's a bunch of thrash bands. And then uh, Dimebag Daryl versus all. Yeah. Like those are all pretty good videos. Very cool. Oh, yeah. 100%. Super I cool really videos. like the uh, Chuck versus all thing yeah. because, I mean, we you talk about the origins, and though this podcast leans heavily into the metal realm. Yeah, I think it is important just for certain regards because it's not so much about taste, but it's about just understanding music in general and how it originates and how important it is. Yep. When you watch that, you get to see Chuck's wrist put up against like Possessed, Pestilence, like some of the earlier death metal acts that came about to become influences to see what the scene is today. Yep. And Chuck, we talked about earlier, like Chuck was so fucking far. He ahead was ahead of his, of his time. time. That, yeah, like those first two albums. Like we talk about the replacements being ahead of their time. Yeah. Chuck Schuldner was like twice ahead of the and time that, that the replacements a, were. Yeah. And that's a genre that was hard and even to this day hard to digest. So for like, him to even, even production values on those first few records. Yeah. Like it's like, I, it's like I said to you before the show started. If you were to take Death's discography and bump it up 10 years. Yeah. It would still hold. Yeah, like if Scream Buddy Core came out in the mid nineties. Exactly. You know, and everything else that had already. You could put that up to you know Angels like Alter to Madness. Exactly. Sepultura. You could put up to literally anything. Yeah, and I think that's what's crazy because the debate obviously comes down to possess seven churches. Scream Bloody Gore, the Death by Metal, you know, EP that Death had yep. prior and who was really the originator. But I mean, overall, if I'm thinking Death Metal and I'm thinking the time, Death is the blueprint. 100%. Seven Churches is almost like the blueprint more for extreme metal towards like Slayer and obviously what Venom did prior and things yeah. like that. But Death really took that genre and molded it to like, this is what we're going to use as the foundation for everything else to come. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I like I do believe that, you know, all the shit from overseas really jump-started what we had in America. The new wave, the new, uh, <coughs> uh, new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah. Huge. Very important. However... I feel like once it gets to America, just like every other thing, it gets big and bloated, and most of the times it gets better. Yeah. And heavier. We we don't have... It's like cars. We don't have, like, the fine-tuned quality. We're like, all right, remember the episode of SpongeBob where he's fighting off against King Neptune, and they're making, like, burgers? Yes. You know how SpongeBob makes that one really good burger? Yeah. That's like the British metal scene and where King Neptune over here just making a thousand of them just because we can. <laughs> We're just going to overdo the shit out of it. 
But I guarantee you, in one of those burgers, there was a death. Somewhere. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> a thousand burgers, they all taste like shit in the cartoon. But we have a few in there. You know, you just yeah. like, sift through the fucking hundreds of other ones. Exactly. And, you know, it, at least the way I perceive death and the way that, you know, I think it is, they took, like, and it's a very, 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 you know, small number of bands that are able to do something like that is to take that influence and go fucking way further. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I sound like a fucking broken record every time we talk about death, but they're just the best. They like that, like there, like there's no argument. Their you can't, you can't argue with it. Yeah. The, the way this translates to me as well. Um, like I have a friend that's super into like the nineties grunge movement, really likes hip hop. Um, totally into classic rock and stuff. And, you know, I started slowly getting him into like the thrash world. Yeah. He watched some documentaries, um, you know, and then eventually because of, uh, Scott Burns Hmm. producing a lot of those thrash records in the nineties, he stumbled upon spiritual healing. Oh yeah. And I remember him texting me out of the blue and being like, have you ever heard spiritual healing? I'm like, motherfucker. We're not doing this conversation because I try to like go that way. And so I'm not into that shit. So he did it himself almost. And when he heard it without that biased opinion where I was like, hey, listen to this band. It's death metal. You might not like it, you know, because I sent him something, I think, off of um, Human, I believe, because I thought that would be the most digestible yeah. effort by them. And he doesn't even like Human, like love spiritual healing, loves life. That's strange. But that's the thing about death is if you're into metal at all. Yeah. Even if you hate the extreme death metal that you have, Death is just one of those bands that's like the bridging gap to get from, you know, clean thrash to, you know, suffocation, morbid angel, all that stuff. They could have been the predecessor for like kind of like the trajectory of like Lamb of God, really, if you think 100%. about it. 100%. I mean, they, like you said before, like they transcend. Yeah. And you don't even have to be, like, honestly, you don't have to be in fucking metal to like Lamb of God. Yeah. And you don't have to, to, you know, be into death metal to like death. Yeah, it's just a very underrated genre, I think, in terms of when we talk about like Sugar Hill Gang, the hip hop scene, how that evolved. Yeah. You know, you have the Beatles and the way they evolve music. You have Nirvana in the 90s, how they created a new trend. Mm-hmm. Death metal is one of those genres that's not, I guess, socially acceptable. Frowned so, upon. Yeah, so people lose the idea of how hard it was to even establish that. Exactly. You know, you figure the way vocal stylings were at that point in time mm-hmm. in the mid 80s. That shit was unheard of. Unheard of. And how the fuck were you even going to get a fan base? You know, that really took a small amount of growth because you're not getting radio play. Yep. You know, the shows you're playing, you're not selling out Madison Square Garden. Like, and you know, honestly, and that's in like a uh, where I have to give Slayer props to. Like, honestly, I'm not a giant Slayer fan. Yeah. But you have to give them props for them to succeed in that genre, right? Yeah. With the type of vocal styling of Tom Mariah. Yeah. Like, you think of everyone else, like the big four. Metallica, Anthrax, the lyrical content, and Megadeth. Alone. Yeah, they sung. Yeah, like they they did. Like granted, James was like a very primitive version of singing the first few albums, or the first three. I uh, first two, like primitive singing, but none of them sound like Tom Mariah. Yeah, you know, and it's just like it, like that shit was unheard of then. So to even go the opposite of Tom Mariah and go lower and fucking deeper and more fucking raspy and gnarlier, yeah, like that shit, like really turns some heads. I think too. That's where we talk about the new wave of British heavy metal kind of getting the bar set because Venom, yeah, Venom basically created Slayer. Mm-hmm. Slayer took what Venom was doing and made it almost more digestible for like the American population because Venom was doing basically the same thing. The we'll same call it thing. the Neptune approach, basically. The, the King ne- Neptune approach. The King Neptune approach. <laughs> Hashtag King Neptune approach. Was this album a SpongeBob burger or was it a King Neptune burger? That's how we can do the comparison shopping. Um, I'm taking the SpongeBob alternative on this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, by no means a Slayer of the Mountain Shout and the Venom. No, you know, but no, no, no. <laughs> it's like the difference between um, like Mountain Dew Code Red and like original Mountain Dew. It's a taste preference at that point. Yeah. You know, same brand, but one's. It's going to be one's better green, to one's red. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, it's just, I think that's just important to recognize because we always talk about music, the trends. I mean, this per- conversation basically started off a recommendation you had of this guy's YouTube channel. So yeah. I don't want to lose uh, focus on that. The suffocator. This was the rabbit hole of conversation <laughs> here. Um, but no, it's cool watching that video because you get to really see and appreciate the value of what these people were yeah. doing in terms of their writing abilities. Because exactly. Again, it's a genre that 
it gets attention, but why does it get attention? Because of its face value, because of how provocative and shocking it is? Yeah. Or, or do people really appreciate the talents and what these men were able to accomplish? Well, obviously we see it because we're into this type of music. Like I, I would love to just fucking like go out on the streets. Just like like the equivalent of like cold calling. Like, what do you think of this? Yeah. Like, how do you feel like that? How do you feel after listening to this? Well, I think that's what's crazy about that genre because hip hop for me, and especially rap, like gangster rap in the late 80s um, through the 90s and stuff, for some reason to me, you could show me a rap artist and I would have an easier time listening to that than somebody whose predominant genre may be rap and then me try to show them, like, you know, Arise by Sepultura. Yeah. Like, that's a very, that's a harder transition, I think, in most cases because. I've always been into rap, so again, it's easier for me to accept it. Exactly. Modern rap today, I still will give it a shot, but I think that's the thing. Like, I have nephews and stuff that their bread and butter is, like, modern-day hip-hop, like, in the sake of, you know, Extension and Juice World and stuff like that, where... God help them. Yeah, I put on, like, Monstrosity or something with yeah. Warps Grinder, and it's, <laughs> it's not going to fly with that. You know, it is kind of funny, though, bringing that up, because I've seen a couple, like... uh I started getting into like reaction videos. Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah, 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 yeah. And like, there's like a couple of videos of like hip hop heads like getting into like heavy music. Yeah. And there was one where like a hip hop head was listening to Domination. Yeah. He's see, like, okay. And then the breakdown comes on. He's like, I can fuck with That's this. That's what I'm saying. There are, and there are people where you could look at them, and obviously everybody has a judgment on instinct about the way you dress, the way you act, the way yep. you carry yourself, what music you probably listen to. Exactly. Um, it's funny, I actually did a psychology experiment with one of my classes where basically I had everybody write on a piece of paper their top five artists, and then we all went around the room and guessed who wrote those artists down. And it was funny, some of the picks, because oh, like, you know, you do with gauges and the piercings, and you know, there was one that was like, you know, the top five artists were like, Avenged Sevenfold, and Disturbed, and like they picked that dude, and he was like, no. Nah. And his was actually like ASAP Rocky. Um, you know, Nas. That's and it was, funny. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because that's, again, it's just a real instinct that everybody just has this common perception. And it turns out the Disturbed guy was like the like the nerd in the corner like yeah. with oh. his fucking, with his inhaler and yeah. shit. Like, Where? I like heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever headbang at the shows, but I sit in the farthest reach of the pit to be able to at least observe my favorite bands. The asthma doesn't uh, allow me to mosh. I always hear like like the Mort Goldman voice from Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. I don't like get you close. What's up with his wife looking exactly like him? Yeah, that dude, is weird. That's like Millhouse's parents too. There's always those conspiracies that they're like inbred families. It would make perfect sense. Like Millhouse's dad looks just like Millhouse's mom. Millhouse's mom. Yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> that's strange. They look alike. <laughs> what do you think? Hit us yeah. up. <laughs> Uh, okay. That's so funny. <laughs> On this day in music history. January 25th, 1975. The hit song, Please, Mr. Postman, hits number one in America for the second time when the Carpenters version goes to the top. Song was a number one for the Marvelettes in 1961. That's pretty cool. I mean, you get a cover that goes back to number one of like pretty yeah. much the same track. I mean, we're talking 14 years later. It's always impressive. The Marvelettes, isn't that like the the Marvel Comics like band or something? Like, aren't they a group of superheroes? Yeah, Stan Lee used to orchestrate them. <laughs> he was the conductor. <laughs> uh, moving up here to 1980, Paul McCartney is released and deported from Japan after spending nine days in a Tokyo jail. Wah. He was arrested at the airport when custom officials found 219 grams of marijuana in his luggage. They were probably carrying it for Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan basically turned them all into drugs. That's fine. They were the coolest motherfuckers. 219 grams? Such a weird number. Yeah. Someone like someone probably shorted Paul. Probably asked for like 220 or 250. So when they probably weighed that shit when he got arrested, that was his first reaction. Fucker beat me. <laughs> Oi, that bloke beat me. Oi, <laughs> I asked 220. Are you going to tell me 290? Do you want us to charge you for 220 here, Paul? No, I'll take the 219. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I wonder what nine days in a Tokyo jail is like for Paul McCartney. That probably sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He probably was loved over there. We have to think in 1980, like all like the Orientals and shit, like they were all about Elvis back then, like around that time period. Yeah, but the Beatles still had high recognition. That's true, but you have to think. Like, um, I don't want to like make it sound like I'm like racist or anything, but it's actually it's a proven thing. They're like 
like 10 to 20 years behind us. Yeah. Like right now, like pop punk is like fucking huge over there. Yeah. Pop punk hasn't been big here in like 20 years. I think Alan Iverson is still like an icon over there too. Fucking um, uh, Dennis Rodman. He's like a god. Yao Ming is too. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't know. So it could it could have went either way because I do know that he had Elvis had a giant fan base over in like Asia and like, you know, those countries in there. I wonder why he spent nine days in there, though. Was he like waiting? For, I don't know how their bail system works, but he he had to have the money. Yeah, that's what I mean. How did you wind up nine days? Like Maybe he's trying to do like a humanitarian type thing. Like, I'm going to see how they uh... now I know how they live. <laughs> Been on the other side of the bus. Next time he goes and protests for like injustice of minorities. I know how you feel. <laughs> I've been there. I'm going to donate $33,000. That'll help <laughs> save everybody. <laughs> I went once to jail for a drug crime. <laughs> yeah. Nine years later in 1989, performing in Columbus, Georgia, Bobby Brown is arrested under the city's anti-lewdness act when he brings a girl on stage and simulates sex with her. Oh, you Bobby Brown. Brown finishes the show about an hour later after he is booked and pays a $652 fine. I'm not shocked by this news. I, I'm i kind of shocked because of the area. What, Columbus, Georgia? Yeah, like I like this is 1989. Bobby Brown's playing there. Obviously, it's like a big fucking like hip-hop R&B type area. I'm not going to say it's like the Wild West or whatever, but I'm actually kind of surprised that it would lead to him going to jail. Yeah, they just let it fly. Yeah, just like, oh, this is Bobby Brown. It must have been so uncomfortable. His sex simulation was probably way off. They were like, (laughs) we're not sure. You didn't even bring out the mayonnaise. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they were just mad about um, his, uh, that year when he was in Ghostbusters 2. They didn't like his cameo appearance or maybe even the single that really spawned off the about album. It, yeah. Yeah, they're probably like, yo, on our own. Just sucks. looking for an opportunity for him to fuck up. <laughs> we didn't like your cameo in Ghostbusters, bitch. <laughs> nah. That's another that's a weird find too. I wonder what the uh I really want to know yeah, what the write up said on that. Yeah. This man's Marijuana is just a huge problem, I guess. If we put it in comparison, you can. Well, I think Bobby Brown. Was you can basically some... dry rape a girl on stage and just get hit with a half a thousand dollar fine. But you're spending <laughs> nine days in jail if we catch you with marijuana at any amount. Well, it is kind of funny though because at 1980 in 1989, Bobby Brown was like fucking it. Yeah. In 1980, Paul McCartney had kind of come off of his high with the wings, right? Yeah. But the Beatles, you have to understand, that's just it was timeless. Yeah, that's true. Moving on here to 2003. <laughs> Thanks to a raft of Grammy nomination, Nora Jones' debut album, Come Away With Me, goes to number one in America 11 months after it was released. It stays on top for three weeks and then returns the week of March 15th after winning the Grammy for Album of the Year. It's interesting. I'm actually not, I'm not familiar with this album at all or Nora Jones. I'm slightly familiar. Um... I'll show I'll show you after the show. You'll you'll definitely know some of the songs off that album. Um, but that's basically the same thing we see nowadays with uh, artists dying and stuff. It kind of takes like a somewhat recognition to kind of leap an album back into its graces. Yeah. You think about after Michael Jackson died, how his album shot up. You know, yeah, that's a true. lot of movies when they get nominations, all of a sudden they get a way wider fan base. Oh my god, yeah. You know, I mean that that's like that's like the going thing. Like, even when, like, Ghost Meliora came out, and, like, it did fairly well because it was a good album, and then it won the uh, top hard rock metal album on the Grammys the year it came out. Like, people, you know, it, it did very well again. Yeah. But going back to the Bobby Brown thing, for those of you that don't know the history of Bobby Brown, you might not know that he was a part of a boy group in the early 80s called New Edition. Yes. That band featured extremely good harmonies. Harmonies, you say? Harmonies. What's a harmony, Bill? <laughs> a harmony? <laughs> Let me explain. If you don't know what a harmony is and you're listening to this podcast, I mean... Harmony and vocals. Right? Yeah, harmony and vocals. Yeah. Um, 
I just tried a seamless transition. Didn't work. Obviously, if you listen to the show, you know that we're getting ready to start talking about vocal harmonies. You don't say. And possibly even the greatest of all time. My God. <laughs> New edition doesn't rank on my list at all, but it was just it was an easy like grab there because I didn't know anything about Nora yeah. Jones. She probably has very good you know harmonies too. Paul McCartney was in the Beatles. They had really good harmonies. Yeah. But I mean that's kind of it. So I guess to kind of like draw this thing in i want to like go over like in our opinions some of the best vocal harmonies or you know groups that have the best harmonies maybe pick out a couple songs uh you know for people to check out that maybe come to a general consensus at the end like we always do and yeah. like like pick through so i have a couple here um bgs very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the brothers, uh, Barry, Robin, and Maurice. Yeah, hate them or love them. It's just, it's they're undeniable good. efforts. And I think the reason that their harmonies are so good is the fact they come from the same bloodline. Yeah. It's almost like the same thing with like Hanson. Like yeah. they're all brothers. Like they just have that like thing in their DNA that like makes them like be perfect. I mean, you listen to any BG song. I mean, you, you can't it's deny a, yeah. how fucking good they are and how good they sound together. And in their own right, by themselves, they're all extremely good vocalists. But when you put them all together, it's like when you are making a puzzle or you're putting a puzzle together and you finally find that piece. Yeah. Like that fucking middle piece that, you know, you're building from the left corner in. And you're like, man, like a couple of these pieces like kind of look like they could fit. And you're like, no, here it is. I think it's really important, too, because when you mention them, like just how it fits in that puzzle sense is you think about artists on an individual scale. Yes. And then sometimes when you get a pairing, one basic one that I can think of where it just didn't work. Gavin Rosdale was married to Gwen Stefani for a period of time. Yeah. They did a song together. Gwen Stefani, great vocalist. Right, mm-hmm. Gavin Rosdale, great vocalist, but yeah. when they got paired up, it just did not mesh. Really, and it was bad. Yeah. So when you talk about like the Bee Gees, the Bee Gees reminds me if we go earlier than that as well, like the Jackson Five. Oh fuck yeah! Well, Michael Jackson in general, dude. Yeah, but that was the thing though, is because though he got paired up and like you said, Bloodline, it was interesting enough to know that that happened to work because yeah. it graded like the chemistry could all be there but there's just something about vocal harmonies that it just has to make that pitch like you just have exactly. to have those tones and not everybody has that yeah but the Jackson 5 I think has to be one of the best originators in terms of I mean it was a huge group to the point where the fact that it all lined up like that was just incredible well it's funny too like speaking of the Jackson 5 and like obviously their time in Motown and everything yeah and the Bee Gees we're talking about a particular point in music to where you actually had to be able to do this shit. Yeah, this was And like, if you couldn't, and the producer knew that you couldn't, you just weren't on the fucking song. Yeah, like the Four Tops. Exactly. Um, Diana the Ross and the, the Supremes. Yeah, the, the, exactly. I mean, like, you know, even like going into the 80s. Well, literally, all these, actually, honest to God, all most of these harmonies are all like pre-digital. Oh, at yeah. At least on my list. Oh, yeah. And like, I don't think I have any on my list that are of the digital age. Um, I have two that are like borderline, like their debut albums came out before digital okay. or, you know, back when they were still recording the tape. Okay. Um, going back to Michael Jackson for a second, you know, who is really good harmony. Who, who used to harmonize really good with Paul McCartney. Yeah. Going back to him for a second. Like, yeah. you listen, like say, 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 or like the girl is mine. Yeah. Dude, they used to sing so fucking good together, but yeah, I mean, it, the whole bloodline thing, that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I don't know, like how like siblings have like an unspoken bond. That's like, what I'm saying, because when I brought up the Gavin Rosdale thing, because that was the prime example of something that showed me the, the chemistry can totally be there. Yeah. But I think there's just something more than being an isolated vocalist, like you're good in your own right. There's yep. just something else that has to click, and I think that's the special thing about a vocal harmony, because not always will it work. Yeah. Regardless of how good you are talented-wise, sometimes it just doesn't mesh. Exactly. Speaking of meshing and vocalists not being as good, Van Halen. Yes. I don't think we're ever going to get through an episode ever again without me mentioning Van Halen. <laughs> they, they literally fit into everything. They'll make it. So. <laughs> yeah. They'll show up. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talk about soundtracks. Well, did you know Van Halen? We could be talking about the Son of Sam and David Berkowitz. Did you know that Van Halen's single actually popped around the time <laughs> that he was convicted of those murders? Actually, funny thing off topic. 
I read the other day that mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen's favorite solo was Cinnamon Girl. No way. Favorite guitar solo of all time was Cinnamon Girl. No way. Yeah, I'm telling you. Where'd you read that? Guitar World. Him personally quoted saying In an that? interview in 1993. Wow. Interesting. His favorite solo is Cinnamon Girl. I was like, huh. Wow. You know uh, Jimmy Page's favorite solo? No. Reeling in the ears. Oh, yeah, you told me that. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. But anyways, going back to Van Halen. <laughs> I just had to throw somebody in there. Maybe I can mention Jimmy Page every episode now. This is the new trend. <laughs> You know um, what size shoe I wear, by the way, Bill? <laughs> any other random fucking facts we need to throw out there? <laughs> um, obviously, Van Halen went through two, uh, three iterations of the band with different singers, Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth, and Gary Sharon. The one thing that has always stayed consistent in that band from its inception till obviously its you know conclusion is the vocal harmonies of Eddie Van Halen and Michael Anthony. Yes. Now, you've just you you've dove into their discography and you've heard enough of their music to know that Eddie and Michael like made up like that harmony it's section iconic. and how perfect it's it was. Yeah, it's very iconic. Like probably one of the best examples. Oh wait, I forgot to give an example of the Bee Oh wait, never mind. I said any BG song. Yeah. Um probably one of the best examples uh, I'll give the eras out. So, David Lee Roth era, I think Running with the Devil, if you were to listen to isolated tracks or even pay attention to the harmonies of Eddie and Michael, like especially during the chorus, that song, you can hear the harmonies extremely well and like how perfect they were together. Uh, with the Sammy era, I would probably say anything off of 5150 or uh, maybe when it's... No, right now. That's perfect. Yeah. No, probably when it's love. Like, how do I know when it's the... Like, that harmony is amazing. But even... They were kind of, like, almost in semblance, too, of, like, gang vocals. Like, what came later in, like, the thrash era. Because yeah. they just had that iconic duo behind... Me, myself, I'm not a Hagar fan. No, no, I no. I love David Lee Roth era, so I always compare back to the songs that I heard. Yeah. But that vocal harmony in the background between the two of them was always iconic to me. It was, like, not necessarily expected... But like appreciated to the album, it, it like made Van Halen for me in terms outside of the exactly. Work. It's like another instrument in itself. Yeah, like, and it's funny too because like Michael Anthony just from the looks of him, just like oh, it's just some normal ass dude. But he has like the highest register like ever, of course. And I mean, there's not enough to be said about the talents of Edward Van Halen. Not enough. So yeah, I mean, you kind of have it there, but um. Probably with the Gary Sharon era, probably like not enough. That's a good one. Uh, Without you, it's another good one with vocal harmonies. But um, yeah, just the just the the vocal team of Eddie and Michael just made Van Halen. And you know, Wolfgang didn't do bad himself, but we're talking about like the classic fucking everything. Yeah. And you know, like in the early Van Halen records, like you do have like David Lee Roth in there with the harmonies too, but. Like, even if you watch, like, live videos and, like, you'll catch Dave, like, doing something stupid, like a fucking spin kick or some shit live and Eddie and Michael are still singing, it yeah. still sounds like the record. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Van Halen's my uh, next one. What about you? So, the one of the ones I wanted to talk about, I mean, because I mentioned, like, the four tops of Temptations, we even say Boys to Men, I mean, all yeah. this. The one that really goes underlooked at times was the Pixies. So, Kim mm. Deal and Francis Black, they... Because I think about like 90s alternative, right? And not yeah. many acts, and I always talk about this, can hold up. Like with Thurston Moore and like Kim Gordon, there was just something there where they were more better when they were doing their own songs. Yeah. They didn't really harmonize as much. But if you listen to the album Doolittle, which in my opinion happens to be just their most credited work, I think it's just the best album overall of their discography. Yeah. Um, specifically the song Hey, which is on the tail end of the album. Kim Deal obviously went on to do her own thing with the Breeders. Francis Black continued to do his own work as well. But those two together was that perfect thing where their vocals didn't match up in tune, which I will say with the next band, that's mutual effort. We're going to both talk about that in great length. But they were the ones where like their vocal range was so different. But when it hit, I always think it's like another instrument. Like it's just another part of like if that was not there. You yeah, know, if that harmony wasn't there, would the song be as, as good as it is? Because there's certain moments in certain Pixie songs where those moments come. It's like the same thing waiting on a solo, waiting on a breakdown. 
yeah. waiting on like that real like bridge to a good chorus. Um, and then obviously talk about harmonies that sync up. Well, before you say that, going back to what you're saying about another instrument, yeah, another band I think like like fucking like eats, sleeps, and breathes harmonies is Queen. Hundred percent. Like that is another instrument in that band. Hundred percent. Like without a fucking doubt. Queen is one of those bands where I think people listen more for the vocals than anything else. Because exactly. we always talk about how underrated Brian May is, but I think the reason why is because of how, like Michael Jackson, for instance, the vocals really take and make that band. Yes, that is the be all end all of what makes Queen. Why people listen to Queen. And the thing that people don't understand is it's everybody in that band oh, yeah. is able to sing. Yeah, because it's mean, not just Freddie Mercury. I was gonna say because if you watch um, Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody, and then you actually look at like behind the scenes of like the real videos of what these guys accomplish, yeah, it's phenomenal work. Because again, that really was the forefront and your front and center piece of the act in its entirety. Yeah, but then the supporting cast instrumentally is just that good where everything works. Yeah, everything works. Um, so going back to the 90s. I was actually, before we're going to do that, are you saving a specific one for last? Um, Yeah, I, I'm going to have, I'm going to throw a fucking curveball in here at the end. The the one that me and you watch classic albums of. Okay, because I'm, I'm going to save my one for last as well because I always harp on this band. But the one we'll talk about <laughs> mutual effort because I think they are the ACDC of vocal harmonies in terms of their discography that they can just keep pumping them out and it yeah. works every fucking time somehow. Alice in Chains. Yes. Because we can talk about the 90s. I bring up the Pixies particularly because, again, Alice in Chains did it in a way where their voices lapsed and were perfect. Yes. Pixies were more unorthodox in that they weren't looking for a point where they both held harmonies. Instead, they were almost like a backing vocal on top of the lead vocal. And yeah. it just kind of like went into like a wired mesh where Alice in Chains, I, like people always talk about Lane. And obviously, Jerry has his moments as well. Mm -hmm. But until you really listen to like an isolated piece of their music, you don't realize how many times they harmonize. Oh, yeah. And how fucking good it sounds. And even both iterations of Alice in Chains. Like, I, oh, yeah. Like, William Duvall, like, in my opinion, I think the vocal harmonies for Private Hell off of Black Gives Way to Blue are like fucking second to none. Now, let me ask you something, because I always had this feeling. Do you think that there was creative efforts between both Jerry and Lane to take control of the vocal ability? Because I always feel like Jerry felt like he was more smothered and overshadowed by Lane. Because I know there are a lot of moments where Jerry's like trying to really give it his all in his certain moments. And well, yeah, that's true. But I read in an interview that Jerry originally didn't want to sing in the band at all. Huh. Jerry never sung. And Lane, like, because obviously, like, the history of Alice in Chains, they had started, they didn't have a vocalist, and Lane, Lane was a friend of everybody in the band. Lane was doing, like, a speed metal project dressed in drag, and, like, that was his bag. And they knew he was a good-ass singer, and so they wanted him. When they finally came in, Lane heard Jerry singing on some shit, and was like, well, what the fuck am I here for? Like, what, like, why aren't you singing? And... Jerry always taken it back. He always took a back seat to it because he knew, well, at least in his mind, he thought Lane was the better singer. I mean, I think Jerry's the better singer of Lane and Jerry I'm together. Disagree with that, but Lane had the power, dude. Lane's range is just the yes. problem with Lane is is he deteriorated throughout his career. Exactly, so you never really got him at a hundred percent. But when you see some of those shows, it's dude, the fucking facelift show. That they did in Seattle, the black and white music oh, videos yeah, yeah, they yeah. have for the live show, and you get like it doesn't play it in its entirety. That revitalized Man in the Box for me because his fucking range in that chorus, yeah, live, and that was him almost at his peak because obviously after Dirt, everything just spiraled. Yeah, but he, I think Jerry's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. I just think Lane was like, you have a cake. Cake is literally like the sus, like the whole sustenance of the entire thing. But that icing on top, if that's not good, it can ruin the whole cake. <laughs> I think that's how it is with Jerry and Lane. That you need yeah. Jerry's attribution, like his contribution, mm. but Lane is what takes it to that next level. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's exactly Lane the way the I was thinking about it. Yeah, Lane's the ice. like Jerry with Jerry's vocal abilities and his singing, he like has the foundation. Mm -hmm. Like he's like the foundation. He keeps the shit grounded. Yeah, he keeps it from going anywhere else. Lane is exactly. either gonna fucking make or break you. Yeah, you know, Lane takes it to that next level. Exactly. 
But um, I forget where, where where I was going with this one. But yeah, their their vocal harmonies are just insane. It's it really is unbelievable because even before we started doing this, we were listening to all those isolated tracks, mm-hmm. and um, that was a big thing for me. It wasn't until that I started watching a lot of live music videos of Alice in Chains did you really get to see. It's the same thing with like Metallica, for instance. I didn't realize how many solos were done by James Hetfield until I actually watch it live. Yeah. So it's the same thing when I watch Alice in Chains videos and see how many parts that Jerry contributes to yep. and really understanding like, oh shit, that was him? Because they are kind of similar, especially when Lane has his monotone, darker voice. Yeah. But the, that range between the two of them. Man. Well, the thing is, too, you have to remember is when they recorded these songs, it's like quad track vocals. So you have two tracks of Lane, two tracks of Jerry. Yeah. And most of those tracks, most of them overlap each other. And sometimes they're singing the same exact thing. Yeah. And it's just it's almost impossible to decipher who's who until that harmony comes out. That one like fucking off note. Then it's like, oh, shit. OK, there yeah. it is. Yeah. You And we recommended the unplugged. Uh, Alice in Chains a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and if you haven't watched that, you need to fucking watch it because perfect example. Of, yeah, yeah, that that's just that perfect opportunity to see how much contribution and vocal efforts that both these guys do yes. throughout the entire 100%. set. And you're obviously getting a huge portion of their discography, and that's so you can see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much every song yeah. that's notable. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, from you know, uh, what did they play off facelift? They play anything off facelift? Oh yeah, what did they play? Got Me Wrong wasn't on Facelift. That was on SAP, right? Wow, they didn't play anything off Facelift. Yeah, they didn't play anything off Facelift. It started from SAP on. They even well, played... Jar of Flies. Technically, didn't Jar of Flies come out first? No, Dirt. No. Okay, yeah, they started at Dirt. Come out. They played shit from Dirt. Okay. So they went Dirt, SAP, Jar of Flies, self-titled. Wow, that's really sad. Yeah. I think about that. Well, Which then again, dude, there was nothing that could really be transcribed to, you know, acoustic you know, unplugged from facelift, maybe like sunshine. That would be kind of cool. I don't know would dude, have been because cool. I mean, they could have done see a sorrow. Uh, yeah. Love, hate, love. They probably could have done eight. It ain't like that. It ain't that like been that. Kinda cool. I mean, they did sludge factory. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that shouldn't have worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, going off of the unplugged thing, Allison chains, they, I, I don't feel like Alice in Chains get nearly enough credit as they should. Well, and that's another thing, because with that whole 90s grunge alternative movement, Alice in Chains subtly got bumped into like almost a metal band. Some of the bands yeah. that they you know toured with, and just the, the guitar stylings and everything wasn't so much fitting towards what Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Mud Honey, yep. you know, Screaming Trees, all them were kind of trying to accomplish. But Alice in Chains... It's just undeniable the amount of talent from each part of that band yes. to where that vocal harmony is just another layer to how successful they are. Another in instrument. Music. It's phenomenal. Yep. It's phenomenal. Um, I would never... The, the, again, with Alice in Chains, they're just another band that's kind of like in that mainstream thought process when we talk about those acts, but... The more you, and I think with every band that has this type of notoriety, yeah, it's very important that you go and listen to the songs that you haven't heard a thousand times. Oh to yeah, get a rediscover. There's a lot of good songs. Good they are absolutely. There's a lot of good songs that didn't make it to the radio yeah. on on every album. Yeah, like honestly, uh, I, me and Nicole sat down one day, or we were driving, and we listened to the entire Alice and Chains discography, Lane Air. You have to. And her favorite is her favorite album is self-titled. Honestly, her least favorite's Dirt. And well, that's ironic because again, even it's like I go with bands like Death in terms of how great their discography is, and especially Lane Era because Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't put anything after Lane Era before it. No, you can't. I couldn't do it. Like it's good in its own right. It really is. Like William Duvall. Honestly, in my opinion, like I know it's kind of like gonna be like backtracking a little bit. Jerry and Lane had an insanely unique and good harmonies. Like, they did. Like, it's undeniable. William Duvall, however, is like a trained singer. Yeah. And musically, like, in like a music sense, their harmonies are like, quote unquote, better. But the Jerry and Lane harmonies are more unique and more defined. I was going to say that. Defining. With, yeah. With the era we're in now, it's almost like the Vol is at a point where 
you're going to get the same thing every time. Yeah. To where Jerry's kind of leading the effort now, where exactly. Duvall's kind of like that underlying layer to give it a little bit more, but it's never going to be different than what it was before. Lane yeah. was, when we talk about like, the, again, the cake analogy of music. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> that cake's going to be fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Right? Like, oh my God. Sometimes it's going to be like, damn, this sucks. With Duvall, it's going to be like, I'm eating the same cake again, you know? Like, Go to shop you know, right. Yeah. Pick like, it out of the freezer. Yes. yes. <laughs> so Lane is like your mom and pop shop bakery. And depending on how they're all feeling that day, you might get a phenomenal cake or you might get one McMillan's with some, bakery with some boogers in Collingswood. it. Yeah. There might be a couple boogers <laughs> in it. We don't know, but you're taking that risk because you know the potential. The ball is just shop, right? Yeah. And like, you know, like the, we're not saying nothing bad about William Duvall because he is a great vocalist, but like as Jerry far, leads the effort. Exactly. Now, yeah. William Duvall just isn't unique enough. He provides a little bit of spice. To exactly. The effort, yeah. Like their harmonies musically work together better. The Jerry and Lane ones, they like, like uh, Rick Beato did a, um, what, what makes this song great episode on Alice in Chains. And he like broke down the vocal harmonies. And like with William Duvall, it's kind of like, like if you're playing like a guitar, right? And you have a power chord. Like you're just playing a normal, you know, two, you know, three and five power chord. Like, that's it. Like, Lane is like, if you were to play like that two, that three and five power chord, but you were also putting like your fucking pinky finger on like the seventh fret of the high E string with like, you know, um, with like a semitone in the middle of it. Like, musically, it sounds fucking crazy if it's by itself. Yeah. But in their sense, it worked out great. 100%. But um, I think we spent a little too much time on Alice in Chains. Well, I think the only reason I brought that up kind of towards the tail end, because I knew there was just a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. (laughs) So I figured now, since we're kind of going to wrap this idea up, I figured we would each pick one specifically that stands out the most to us personally and maybe a song by said artist that we could recommend to really show off the stylings. All right, you want to do some, uh, uh, God damn it, honorable honorable mentions real quick? Go ahead. Because I got a couple. Go ahead. Um, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. I can't stress enough how, like, if you love them or hate them, it doesn't matter. Boy bands suck, girl bands suck, whatever. They were able to sing together. Yeah. All of them were. They were all incredible vocalists in their own right. And together, it's undeniable how great they were. Another one, like you mentioned earlier, was Boys to Men. Yes. And I didn't know it, but two of the members of Boys to Men were brothers. Yeah. And like they've had you know various other guys throughout the years, but they mostly stayed true to being a quartet. At other points, they've had like five people, six people. And now they're actually playing as a triplet. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they're doing right now. I think they were in a Geico commercial recently. Were they? I'm pretty sure. What, like a whole, like... Or progressive a, or something. I, one of those... I'm pretty sure I saw them recently in, like, a car <laughs> commercial. I'm, like, trying to think of, like, how it is, like, oh, yeah, like, we have our neighbors, but they have a fencing problem. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, I, I how they get tied boys It's not one of those, I think. It's oh. something else, like, I forget exactly. I'll, I'll have to t- double-check this afterwards. Can't confirm or deny this. But, um... Yeah, so those are my honorable mentions. Do you have any? Uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Oh, yeah. Uh, that definitely is an honorable mention. Uh, Allman Brothers is another one. Yeah. I think Allman Brothers had some great harmonies as well. Um, what the fuck was the one I was just going to mention that was in my head that totally slipped the my Eagles? mind? The Eagles? Eagles is, well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely an honorable <laughs> mention. Um, but no, like I was thinking like Kansas as well. Oh, yeah, Boston, Boston, Chicago. Chicago. I mean, you could go on and all on All areas that. of Chicago. Yeah, that told all those rock acts in those times mm-hmm. were just totally like electric light orchestra. Yeah. You know. Um, Sticks. Heart. Yeah, heart. You know. So, yeah, there's a lot. Now, through this, I, be, I believe we both have an artist we have not mentioned yet that we would save for our favorite pick. Yes. Okay. Do you want to go first? Mine is... It, it, it'll be a surprise to most people. Uh, Def Leppard. Yeah. Def Leppard gets a lot of hate, in my opinion, for no reason. Um, it, Like we were talking about earlier, they just got lumped into that, like, butt rock they fucking are, yeah, thing. Yeah, the only way I put it, it was, like, the perfect idea to think of it. They're overrated and underrated at the same exact Exactly. Time. Yeah. People sleep on Def Leppard, and what they should not be sleeping on is the vocal harmonies. 
I showed you a quick little snippet from uh, classic albums where they were doing Hysteria. Yeah. And it was, uh, I believe it was Animal. Yeah, that was Animal. And you heard the layers of vocals they put in there to make that sound like oh, how yeah. it does. Like all oh, yeah. like in the song, it's just like, you know, like, and I want, and it's a like gang vocals, but they break it down. And the harmonies that are in there, and you watch any live videos, you can see them because everyone in that band sings as well. Oh, yeah. Rick Savage, Rick Allen, you know, Phil Collin, Vivian Campbell now, but it used to be Steve Clark and Joe Elliott, obviously. And they all sung and they all did their little parts and it just made that Def Leppard sound. And it's always been that way with that band. And, you know, in particular, I would say if you want to hear some good harmonies from Def Leppard, you'd have to turn on, you'd have to put Hysteria on and maybe listen to Animal and probably uh love bites love bites and his and uh love bites hysteria and animal would probably be like my no fuck that rocket and animal those are my two songs from def leppard you would need to check out if you want to hear good harmonies all right very good what do you got mine is more predictable <laughs> um fleetwood mac oh man I always harp on Fleetwood Mac because you have three vocalists of a five-piece band. And yeah. Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham. Yep. Lindsey Buckingham no longer part of the band, but that's irrelevant at this point. Um, what they were able to accomplish after the Peter Green era is substantial in terms of music history. Mm-hmm. I think Rumors is one of the most complete, overplayed, but still digestible albums to this date. 100%. I can hear that album a thousand times and it's still just as good every time. Like yeah. It just never waters down for me, even the self-title. Um, but the big thing about Fleetwood Mac is is you can put Stevie Nicks up there isolated. Yeah, She has her own songs. Christine McVie has her own songs. And then Lindsey Buckingham, of course, has his own songs while also being a very underrated guitarist simultaneously. When Actually, you put, uh, 99. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, don't bring that shit up again. Um, Fuck you. It's sore. God damn it. (laughs) Sore subject. Very sore. So I feel like the dog with like the helicopters flying around, like the PTSD thing, like Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, But all three of them, to put that amount of talent together and have them sing in harmony and work so fucking good. Because that's a band, as a kid, when I heard it, the harmony was almost like hearing, you know, Robert Plant. Like that voice. Same thing with Owls and Chains. I'm expecting a certain level of harmony because that's another yep. part of the band in itself. Um, the thing with Fleetwood Mac, again, is just, like I said, it, you can listen to an album. You can get just individual songs by all three of them, and then you can get the meshed up songs with all three of them, and it just completely works. Mm-hmm. Completely works. And to recommend... I'm going to go simple enough because I think this is the best song to hear the highs and lows, like the ups and downs of a track. And I think it has one of the best bridges towards the end. The way this song ends is the chain. I think that build up at the end of the chain is phenomenal. I think the vocal harmonies in it are absolutely spot on. I think the instrumentals are perfect. And to me, it's just that one song on rumors that really separates itself from the rest of the album. Oh yeah. 100%. It's just, it's, the build up on that is like a goddamn metal song for me. Just how amped up I get. It was like, it's just so good. And then he builds up to that solo. Like go your own way is also another good example of the harmonies too. Phenomenal. Like, no, well, that's what I'm saying. The whole album, I like, I didn't want to go out because I, there, I could find 50 songs. Oh yeah. Like, that yeah, you yeah, could yeah. Easily recommend. And yeah, go your own way is like that iconic song. You know, it's just so iconic in terms of like, that's the where you can get like the essence of Fleetwood Mac during the Buckingham era, the Steve yes. Nicks era, post Peter Green, where you understand how this band's going to be eventually sounding. If you hear that song, you're kind of in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah, but I think the chain, because it's more featured on Buckingham, but like every build up, every chorus is featuring all three of them. And I yeah. think it just works so it's well. It's just amazing. Like, so well. Just it it's just insane. It almost makes me wish I was able to sing. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, of course, I have my windows up tight as possible so no one can hear me when I'm driving blasting these songs. I'm giving it a shot. Like, the best part about all these harmonies, though, is that if you're sitting in your car yeah. and you're belting the shit out, too, yeah. there's a good chance you're going to fall somewhere in the middle oh, of yeah, that harmony. that line. And it'll sound like, all right. Oh, yeah. You know, like, until you, like, you, like, you plug your ears and you can hear yourself. You're like, what the fuck was that? Oh, yeah. But, you know, in, like, a harmony like that... You could find you like might a middle. Hit that right pitch at a second. Exactly. And they change the script on you a little bit and you gotta figure it out again. <laughs> like when I'm like when I'm in the car and I'm singing Running with the Devil, like I could find an in-between place in between Michael and Eddie. Oh yeah. And it's like, okay. Well, I do it with the misfits a lot too. Yeah. Because that's another like goofy harmony band in a sing-along sense between like only providing his poor, you know, supporting oh, yeah. vocals. But yeah, I try to do that with the misfits. I think that's the where the bar set. A good one with that, with uh Graves and Only. Would probably be like uh, dig up her bones, maybe. Oh yeah. No, actually, um, dust the dust. Yeah. Like uh, in that last chorus, there's one fucking note. I don't know why, dude. Um, with these final words, I pull the switch or I flip the switch. The dust, dust the dust. My name, like the kiss of death. But when he says like that last, like. It's like my name, but like only does like another note. And it's like my name. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about our lists? How do you feel about this general discussion? Do you feel like there's harmonies that we didn't bring up? Obviously, there's a few that we didn't bring up, but these are our lists for you to listen to. If you're listening to this podcast, obviously you might like the same ones that we did, but maybe send us your suggestions for the best vocal harmonies you can think of. Mail them to us. Email them to us. Send them in comments, suggestions. Facebook.com slash R-A-T-M podcast. Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M podcast. And our email at R-A-T-M podcast at gmail.com. But I thought that was a pretty good discussion. I had a lot of fun talking about that. Like, I, I have so I many harmonies like, yeah, playing in my know, head right I know, now. I know. I'm trying <laughs> like, to think. I, In my head, as I'm talking, I'm hearing the chain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> already stuck in there so uh let's move on to our suggestions of the week today i would like to suggest i originally wanted to suggest one thing but after talking about you know talking about all these harmonies i know i've recommended um gods of war before from Def leopard hysteria but due to the conversation that we just had about harmonies i think it would be beneficial for me to recommend animal off of hysteria just so if you if you've never heard it or actually never really paid attention to it enough maybe after listening to this conversation you the listener will be able to determine these harmonies for yourselves and you know jump on the Def Leppard bandwagon with me and Steve yeah definitely <laughs> absolutely what do you got um I'm going to keep it also on the harmonies I'm going to recommend the 1989 album Doolittle as I mentioned by the Pixies earlier yeah um, I did mention the song Hey. It's probably my favorite to recommend, but I'm actually going to recommend track seven. It's called Monkey Gone to Heaven. Okay. That has yeah, the perfect that harmony between Kim Deal and Francis Black, especially in the chorus. But I think the entire album is absolutely recommended. But that song in particular, just to get an idea of the harmonies, it's perfect. Nice. So, also to recommend for our group suggestions, since I'm on a roll here over here with the movies. I don't know about this is going to be like your thing. It's a joint effort, but I, I just recently, I mean, because the, the movie, and I noticed we hadn't recommended it in a while, so Gus Van Zant is the one who directed it. He's most notably known for movies like uh, Drugstore Cowboy, My Private, or My Own Private Idaho. He also did Goodwill Hunting. He did the remake of 1998 Psycho. Oh, shit. Um, did a lot of movies. He did Milk. I mean, he did a lot of fucking great movies. The movie I'm recommending, though, is the 2005 release. It's called Last Days. So, basically, the movie is a fictional adaptation of Kurt Cobain. Like, Kurt Cobain's not actually, like, acted. Someone's not acting Kurt Cobain. It's just, even if you look at the cover, the individual who's playing the person who's supposed to be Kurt looks like Kurt. It's a dramatized version, but they couldn't say Exactly. So it's essentially breaking down the story of Kurt Cobain through a very fictional sense of his last days before he dies. And I heard it's pretty accurate, too. It's fairly accurate. It caught a lot of controversy. Even the reviews are very mixed on it. I just think it's a necessary film to watch, especially if you're interested in that 
storyline regardless. And Gus Van Zandt, I mean, I just listed some of the movies. And I love oh, yeah. Just Goodwill Hunting to begin with, and he's done a lot of really good shit. Exactly. So, yeah, the 2005 effort by Gus Van Zandt, Last Days, is the recommended watch. Nice. Well, I guess on that note, that kind of wraps it up for this week. This is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast of the Books. This is the last podcast for January. Yeah. We're <laughs> moving closer towards the end. Yeah. Will we make it through 2021? <laughs> Hit us up on our podcast. <laughs> our social medias. Hit us up on our social medias. We might have a poll. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram and Twitter at R-A-T-M Podcast. Facebook.com slash R-A-T-M Podcast. Wix or R-A-T-M Podcast dot Wix site dot com slash R-A-T-M podcast and as always you can get in touch with us 24 7 365 yes, at R-A-T-M podcast at gmail.com we don't sleep we're robots yeah we don't sleep we eat sleep and breathe this podcast oh yeah <laughs> but once again this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening thank you so much for listening I'm Bill I'm Steve have a good night guys mm-hmm.